this morning we're going to be uh, looking at God's word for the remainder of our time uh, together. Before we do that, I do want to mention that uh, as we talked about last week, the elders have discussed uh, the latest spike uh, in COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. And we know now empirically over the data that we have over this season and even with Omicron uh, that the manifestation of this, of this virus is extremely minor despite the high case rates. Uh, just this past week, Yale New Haven Health lauded uh, their own high numbers in discharges of COVID patients in full recovery from COVID. Praise God. Uh, New York and New Jersey over the last two weeks acknowledged that 50% of their hospitalizations uh, were folks in the hospital for other things who just happened to test positive for COVID-19, often unbeknownst to them. Uh, and at the same time, we want to recognize that uh, this virus can still manifest itself in severe illness and even death. And this week, as a matter of fact, we have a family from our church who has an extended family member in the hospital uh, in, in very dire straits. And in fact, I want to ask you this morning, even if as you're sitting there, if your phone, if you have your phone, take your phone out, please write the name, punch the name Sean Russell into your phone. And I'd ask you to pray for Sean this week. Sean's blood oxygen level is currently at 70. And it's not looking good for him. And so we need to be praying, the people of God, asking God to work a miracle. Steve and Amberly Russell, uh, Sean's son, they attend here. They have for years. They're involved. They're a wonderful family here at the chapel. And so uh, just ask you as a church body that we would be lifting up uh, Sean before the Lord this morning. And yet, in spite of uh, what this, the Russell family is, is carrying today and, and our opportunity to pray for them, uh, it does appear quite clear that uh, over this last week even, COVID numbers are beginning to decline and, and will likely decline very sharply over the next couple weeks as we head, uh, head into uh, February. And so uh, we weighed all of this and kind of uh, talking and praying together as elders this week. And by the way, thank you if you prayed for wisdom uh, for us. Uh, we truly need it. But we've determined at this time not to make any tangible changes to GBC protocols here at the chapel. We do want to offer sort of a firm reminder today that, that you are to be responsible for your own health and considerate of that of others. In other words, we trust you uh, to do what is best. This would include your choice for mask wearing, but also not mask shaming. I think you note that the church body here has a mix and it's been very uh, healthy in that way. And so we'd ask you to continue that. Uh, and especially if you're not feeling well, we'd ask you to kind of self-assess and make the choice to stay home uh, from church for that, for that week or whatever it might be. Now, as a leadership, I can promise you that these decisions are never easy. I'm kind of done with making them, but apparently God doesn't think we are. Um, and as we've done since early in the pandemic, we've weighed state and local protocols as guidance in our decision-making as a church due to our unique environment, our context, and our role within the community. And quite frankly, our high vaccination rate plays into that as well. So for you, I don't know how you received that, that news this morning. For some of you, maybe if you're online today, you might refrain from large gatherings such as Sunday mornings for a little bit longer. Uh, but this would be the perfect time for you to sign up for a small group or a men's and women's Bible study and connect and grow in a smaller context of 8, 10, or 12 uh, people. In fact, they kick off a week from today on Sunday and into that following week. And so uh, if you're at a place where coming to the large church is you're just not there and there's concerns uh, uh, for your health and so forth, then we'd really encourage you to jump in on a small group uh, or a Bible study. And uh, so, you know, I know this morning that, that we've... Um, 
kind of shared a lot of, a lot of that's happening, a lot of information, a lot for you to take in, and even some of it in the case of, you know, Megan sharing her news that, that comes with a level of, uh, just uh, for, especially for those of you that might be internal processors, a need to kind of digest. And so as, as we transition to talking about the Word of God this morning, I, I want to just take pause and just pray and just ask that God would help us to kind of navigate mentally, emotionally, emotionally to hearing from Him, uniquely and different from the other things that we've heard uh, together this morning. So why don't we pray? Lord, we've talked about a lot this morning and much that we're excited about, some that gives us a level of uh, sort of agita, uh, other things that um, just kind of uh, leave our hearts at a, at a place of uh, maybe a pensiveness or something. And Lord, we want to bring all of that to you this morning as we turn our attention to your word, as, your, as we open your word together. God, would you speak to us? Would you instruct us? Would you teach us by your Holy Spirit this morning, uh, even as we conclude our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's been a bit of a tradition of mine on one of these early Sundays of the new year to uh, speak from a psalm or a portion of a psalm. And so I want to do that again this morning. We're going to look at Psalm, uh, psalm 102, verses 17 to 22. And this is a psalm, it's a unique psalm in the whole Psalter in that it does not have either an author or some sort of liturgical tags to it. It's, it's almost anonymous in a sense. And it's a prayer of an individual who's in anguish, but he's praying sort of with the, the community, the nation in mind. So it's an individual prayer sort of with the corporate uh, body in mind, which is very appropriate for our context today as we're talking about this idea of covenant community. Uh, now, you may know, not know, if you've been around for a while, perhaps you recollect it, we've actually done this sort of like word of the year thing over the last several years. Last year, uh, last year's word was perspective. Um, and actually, both covenant and community have been words individually in the past. We've had words like generosity uh, and service and, and two different years, one that was covenant and one that was community. So this year, we're kind of reaching backward and we're putting the two of them together in a, in a compound word or a phrase that we look at uh, this morning and, and as we get into this year. And, and I think that as we look at this passage from the Psalms, we see three things that are involved in covenant community. Number, namely, there's God's word, God's work, and ultimately God's worth. And so that's what we're going to look at. You can kind of listen for that as we, as we read this text together. It begins verse 17. It says, uh, he, that is God, will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. This will be written for a later generation, and a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. He, that is God, looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from heaven to hear a prisoner's groaning, to set free those condemned to die, so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and kingdoms are assembled to worship the Lord. The word of God, the work of God, the worth of God. Let's look at the word of God first. We're going to, as we kind of look at that in the, in the context of all of Scripture, we can say that, that the Bible is our authority. The Bible is authority for our sense of, of, of purpose and, and meaning. The Bible informs or, or ought to inform authoritatively our identity. And certainly the Bible gives us much direction, as we'll look at in the spring, for our life together as a body, as, as his people. In this particular passage, the psalmist says that this will be written for a later or a future generation. There's some sense 
sense in which it seems as though the psalmist understands that, that his prayer and what he's writing down here is not just for him, but it's something that's perennial, if you will, that's going to come all the way down through the centuries and, and be authoritative for you and me today, even this morning, uh, as a part of God's word, this psalm. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we looked at this scripture last week, the first half, the latter half says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Paul is exhorting his young protege, Timothy, to use the word of God to inform the community of God about how they ought to live in community with, with one another. The Bible is our authority. In fact, the, the sort of the, the opposite of that within our culture is that the Bible is authority, not we are not our own authority, not the authority of self, if you will. In other words, the answer is not within, the answer is without in the Word of God itself. Now, I was reminded of this starkly over the last couple weeks as I was looking at the Instagram account of a local sports celebrity who'd sort of uh, entered and participated in, in a self-help program recently, about a, a two-month program, I think it was, and he was reflecting on the impact of this of this program. Sort of like, uh, if you're older, think of like uh, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, right? So the power of positive thinking, or maybe in the, in the 90s was Anthony Robbins. I don't know who the new positive thinking gurus are, but it was a program like that. And, and I want to read what he said here, uh, but I don't mean this as a critique for the idea of what he's doing. I think it's good that he saw something in himself he wanted to better, but to the point about the Bible being our authority, note the prevalence of self in what he says here. He says this, he says, looking within yourself to really make a change is empowering and so important. I can finally say that I have been able to forgive myself for all my wrongdoings, which led me down the wrong road. And I can move forward with self-love and trust in myself. Now, now, not everything about this is bad, right? Let's remember that all truth is God's truth. And the idea of self-reflection, being honest about our shortcomings and seeking to grow is obviously a good thing. And I will say he goes on in this quote that where I didn't read to, to even seek forgiveness of others, of those that he's wronged uh, over the years or whatever it might be. But I have to wonder, what happens when he fails? Or, or what happens when there's a sustained pattern, even for a brief time, of failure? You know, we talked about last week that we have this sort of intrinsic device in us that measures our sense of self-worth against how we're behaving by whatever standard we think we should be uh, behaving. Even, uh, even pursuing our own standard of behavior can become exhausting. And when we fail, it feels like, you know, we're, all, we're back to square one. Our sense of self-worth just, kind of, just kind of implodes. And then, to what do we fall back? But the Bible as the source and authority for life, and its message, its primary message, what we know is the gospel, is countercultural and counterintuitive uh, to this idea of sort of self-redemption. And so that moves us to consider the next point. If the Bible is our authority, what does it say about redemption? Well, the Bible talks about the work of God. As so we look at covenant community and the work of God, namely the psalmist notes that, that God sees, that he hears, he notices. He says, he, uh, verse 17, pays attention to the prayers of the destitute. He hears the prisoners groaning. Isn't it a comfort to you to know that when you cry out to God, when you pray to him, that he actually hears you according to the words of Scripture? 
But it's not just that he hears or notices. The psalmist says that he acts, he does something about it. God's work is to set free those condemned to die. That, there, there, that sentence, that phrase is the gospel. That the work of God is to set free those condemned to die. He is a God who sees, hears, and notices, and then acts. You know, it reminds me of God's conversation with Moses at the burning bush, right? He says, I have heard the groaning of my people in Egypt, and I have come down to deliver them. Guess what, Moses? I'm going to use you. We're going to get to that in a minute. We serve a God who sees, hears, notices, and acts in response. His work is to set us free from the prison of sin and self and the judgment that we're due, as Paul says in Romans 8. I was reading this week... uh, in a, in a book that cited a newspaper article from a Nigerian newspaper in 2013. And in this article, this gentleman, this Nigerian gentleman, who was on trial for a crime, through the process of the trial, is fully acquitted of all charges and given his freedom, granted his freedom. And, and upon the news, he actually begins to clamor to return to prison. In fact, his, his desire to return for, for prison sees him become so violent that it takes six court personnel and law enforcement personnel to restrain him, to basically boot him out of the courthouse to set him free. If you're familiar with the film The Shawshank Redemption, it's the idea that he was institutionalized, so to speak. But, you know, sometimes we live our Christian lives that way. We're like this Nigerian man granted full freedom, and yet we want to go back to prison. So what does the Bible teach about the work of God? If the psalmist says that his work is to set those free, uh, those condemned to die, how does that, that physical picture play out in what Jesus has done? Number one, the Bible teaches us that our verdict is full acquittal. But it's full acquittal that we are, are, are acquitted, we are set free for, in an outside-in manner. We are made right with God through the forgiveness that comes by the blood of Jesus, not by anything that's intrinsic. But this then, this freedom from the outside in, engenders in us an inside-out change of life, growth. It's what the Bible calls sanctification, the process of becoming holy. And both of these are the work of God. The Bible also teaches that self-reflection through the lens of the Word of God, think of the Psalms, is a great thing. It's a glorious thing because the gospel tells us exactly what is true about us. Number one, that we are image bearers of God. We're the pinnacle of His creation. And yet we are also miserable, wretched, rebellious sinners. Do his judgment. And yet in the gospel we are offered free pardon and forgiveness anyway. But here's the kicker. Here's the real counterintuitive part, or countercultural at least. The Bible teaches that we are justified, made right with God, not by looking within ourselves or seeking to perform our way to some form of redemption, but as we look away from ourselves and look to the cross of Jesus Christ and his finished work there. In the most powerful and probably well-known and encapsulated text on justification by faith alone, Paul writes to the Galatian believers, he says this. He says, Know that a person is justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now he starts with the hypothetical. Know that a person, any person, but then he says, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, not by going to church, not by being nice to people, not by tithing, not by helping old ladies across the street or refraining from slapping babies, as I once said very offensively. But whatever it is, whatever the standard is, that's not how we are redeemed. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And Paul says it backwards as he had just said it forwards because, last phrase, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He sets free those condemned to die. Do you know that freedom this morning? Do you know what it is to be redeemed, fully free and forgiven without that sense that you've got to accomplish it on your own? And are you, Christian brother or sister, living as if you're like that Nigerian man fighting to get back into prison? or like one who's been set free. You know, our mission as a church, as we talk about covenant community, is to do that same work of God in setting others free. Now, we don't do the freeing ourselves, but we speak to it. If God is not too busy and is able to see, hear, notice, and act, then we too as a church should also notice and see and hear those in our lives who need the freedom that Jesus brings. The Scottish theologian James Stewart said this. He said, it is God's justifying verdict itself, which makes us holy. It is precisely because God waits for no guarantees. Listen to that. God waits for no guarantees, that is, of our faithfulness, but he pardons us out and out, and that forgiveness regenerates us and releases us to the mission of the gospel. So covenant community and the word of God, the Bible is our authority for even our life together. Covenant community in the work of God, we are set free from the prison of sin and self and invited to participate in the kingdom work of telling others that they can be free too. What about covenant community and the worth of God? This is really the end of the purposes of God. And the psalmist essentially says that the purposes of the Lord in revealing his word to us and doing his work is our adoration of him. Listen to what it says in verse 18. A people who have not yet been created, not yet been born, will praise the Lord. That's you and me this morning. We began this morning with that. Hopefully your lives have some semblance of bringing glory to the Lord. But we gathered together this morning to do just that in fulfillment of this psalm, essentially. And then when the psalmist talks about setting free those condemned to die, the very next line he says, so that so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. He goes on to say, to worship the Lord. The purpose of God in redeeming us is his own glory. God's word births in us his work, and the overflow of our lives is the praise of his worth. Part of the profundity of the incarnation of God in the flesh, of Jesus, the word of God incarnate, as John calls him, is that Jesus embodies this. He comes as the living word. He does the work of God. He does that most uh, clearly, obviously, through the miracles that he did while he was here physically and, and, and personally. He does the living word of God, does the work of God. And Jesus tells us, we see this particularly in John 11, that it's all for the glory of God and for the glory of himself as God. Listen to what he says right before he raises Lazarus from the dead in John, John 11. This sickness will not ultimately, we could insert here, end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. You see, the aroma of covenant community is worship. 
giving glory to our great God. And so as we uh, go back to Deuteronomy next week, we'll look at the Old Testament covenant community of God's people Israel. And we'll glean from them, as as Corinthians tells us, in, in what we read, spiritual principles for what it means to be a covenant community people today. And then we're going to look explicitly at Ephesians for two months on what is the Bible's teaching on what it means to be a local church, to be covenant community. And then over the summer, we're going to look at this series entitled Unusable. We're going to look at the types of characters that God uses that you would never expect, or if you were recruiting an A team, you would never choose. And guess what? You and I are on that team. God uses people that are seemingly unusable. And so we have this final image in this section of the psalm where, where it's, it's almost as if the, the psalmist is envisioning this uh, eschatological scene, the scene of when things are all put to right at the end of all things and God's people are gathered together worshiping the Lord. He says, when peoples and kingdoms are assembled to worship the Lord. And so this is our aim in 2022, that through all our projects and initiatives, through our preaching and our prayer, through relationship and ritual, that we would be a covenant community of the people of God, given to his word, about his kingdom work, and seeking to live both daily and gather weekly to proclaim, to ascribe to him, to sing to him his worth. That's our target this year. Beyond the goals and the physical, uh, tangible things we're pursuing, that we would be a body of his word work and ultimately his worth. And so I want to close in prayer a little bit differently this morning. Rather than me praying, you know, there's been a lot of talking from the front this morning. I want to encourage you, we'll give you about a minute or so to just turn to your neighbor, whether you came with a family member or you sit with the same people every week or maybe you're sitting next to a complete stranger. If you would, take a minute or so and just pray that we would do what the text says, that we would be a people of God's word, work, and worth, that we would follow him, that we would follow his leading, not get ahead of him, that we would look to the Lord. And then we'll come back together and sing a final song in a few minutes. Go ahead, you have about a minute. Go ahead and pray together.